And we're going to have words later, aren't we, bud? Yeah. I'm so used to the headset that I've got the, the mic now, and I'm like, oh, I don't need anything. Hey, uh, I want to just say I'm so glad that we sang the song that we sang, um, because the theme of that song was, I surrender. I lay it down. I give it all up. And I'm so glad you're here this morning. And if you're online, welcome to you online. Please type in the chat where you're tuning in from. And if you have a prayer request, we'd love to connect with you. But I'm glad you're here today. We're in a series called Relationship Hacks. And specifically today, we're going to talk about relationship hacks with our apprentice. And there's a line, actually, from The Phantom Menace, Star Wars, for all of you Star Wars fans. Yoda says this, always two there are, a master and an apprentice. And that could be said, really, for the Bible. Because when you look at the Bible, you see kind of the same thing. You see that Moses mentored a Joshua. Elijah mentored an Elisha. Mordecai had an Esther. Jesus had his 12 disciples. The Apostle Paul had Timothy. Over and over throughout scriptures, you see this whole concept and idea of mentoring and discipling others. As a matter of fact, at the end of Matthew, chapter 28, it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the end of the age. This morning, I want you to know that this section in Matthew is, is not just kind of the end of the gospel of Matthew. It's not just kind of the, the bookend. It's actually the climax of Matthew. You see, up until this time, everything has been building up to this moment. All that Jesus preached, all of his parables... All of his actions, all of his miracles have been leading to this very point. Go and make disciples. You see, that's, that's our task. And maybe if I were to ask you what the primary mission of the church is, I might get a lot of different answers. Some might say that the primary mission of the church is to come together and worship. And wow, wasn't worship great this morning? I mean, can we just bless the worship team? Thank you guys for leading us. Some of you might say, no, actually, what you're doing right now, teaching sound doctrine, that's the role of the church. Some might say, coming together for fellowship. Others might say it's to serve as a community, which we'll be doing tomorrow at Fall Fest. The whole reason we're doing that is to be a light in our community and we get to serve together. And if you've not signed up to serve, you can certainly do that. Or just bring your kids. It's going to be a blast. You know, others might say that the reason that we come together is to take communion, which we will do at the end of the service today. But none of those are the primary mission of the church. You see, the mission of the church is the same as the mission of Jesus. They're the same. 
Jesus' mission was to save the lost and make disciples. To save the lost and make disciples. That is the vision of Christ Center. If you're wondering what our vision is, what we value, that's it. It's not complicated. To lead people to Jesus and to make disciples. And to that end, we leverage everything we have. And that's manifested in five values that we have. Following Jesus, spending time with God, generosity, serving, and connecting in community. But the mission is clear, to lead people to Jesus and make disciples. And he said this, if any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And in the verse that was just before this one, it says that he came to seek and save the lost. What are his two primary goals? Seek and save the lost. And where it says, come after me here, this is a code for if you want to be my disciple. To come after is a language a rabbi used when he wanted a disciple to follow him. If any of you would come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, ultimately, I'm going to give you a bit of a challenge today because today we're talking about relationship hacks with our apprentice. And it assumes something. It assumes that you have someone that you're mentoring, that you're discipling that you have an apprentice. And maybe some of you are a little bit frightened at the thought of even thinking that you would be a mentor to someone. I want to just encourage you that I guarantee you that there is someone you know that is not as far along in the Christian faith as you are that you could pour your life into. There's always going to be that person or those people that are just not where you're at yet. Just as there are people ahead of you. And just as we need someone that we're mentoring, we also, with probably even as much emphasis, need a mentor in our life. That's how it works. And so today, I hope that you would take one step closer to becoming a mentor, a discipler, than you were when you walked in the door. Just one step closer, whatever that may be for you. And I know it's intimidating to think about. I've actually been meditating on a scripture this week that really may seem a bit like a rabbit trail. But the time was this. King David was king, and all was going well in the kingdom. And David actually had a magnificent home, and yet the house of God was but a tent. And David, when looking at his own wonderful home, said, I am going to build a house for God. And that was in his heart, to build this house. And here's what it says in 2 Chronicles 6, 7 through 9. My father David had in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
But the Lord said to my father David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. This scripture gives me great hope. Because here's David, and he's out, and he's saying, you know, here's the temple of God. This is where, you know, God's presence is supposed to dwell, and it's pretty, pretty bad. And look at what I live in. I'm going to build God this magnificent temple. And can't you just hear God saying, oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> you're going to build me a temple. No, David, actually, you're not going to build me a temple. Your son, Solomon, is going to build me a temple. But you know what? I love your heart. He got it wrong. He didn't hear from God or he misheard from God because he was not supposed to build the temple. And yet God still honored him because he says, you did it well to have it in your heart. And if you want to be a discipler, a mentor, then that's where it has to start. You have to have a heart to want to obey Jesus and follow his command to go and make disciples. And you're not going to always get it right. I remember, you know, early on when I started preaching, I worked um, on an ambulance. And so I would see things. And many of you are in the medical arena and you get where I'm coming from. You see things and you almost can become desensitized to them. And I can remember preaching one Sunday and giving a very graphic story about an individual that was shot and what they had to do to him in the emergency room. And I'm just going for it. And it's not even a, a blip on my radar that everyone's turning white in the crowd. I'm just going for it. And then finally I see this young man, about 16 years old, and he gets up, and he's in the middle of the far left column, and he starts to try to make it to the back of the room. And then he turns the corner to try, and he's just trying to get to the men's room. And I just see his head get lower and lower until he just passes out. Later, I had some nurses and doctors that were part of the service come up and say, even I was getting nauseated by this story. Yeah, but my heart was right. And here I am still preaching 20 plus years later. My heart was right. See, God can work with a willing heart. He can work with a humble heart. He can work with a heart that's been surrendered. And yeah, you'll make mistakes, but God will direct and redeem and reform. And he will pick you up when you fall. And so this morning as we think about this journey of discipleship, the most important thing is you have a heart to want to obey Jesus in his greatest command, the command that was for everyone to go and make disciples. Now, I want to look at two individuals, one of whom is a world-class mentor, a world-class discipler. His name is uh, the Apostle Paul. And he actually discipled a, a young man named Timothy. And I want to set this up for you, if I could. 
We're going to actually be in 2 Timothy, if you want to turn there. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. But before we get there, I want you to know that this is the Apostle Paul's last letter. He wrote most of the New Testament, letters here, letters there, but this letter, this letter would be his last letter. For he was in chains, he was bound, put in a dark pit probably with sewage up to his knees, and he was in an obscure place where they had difficulty even finding him. All of his fellow leaders and his friends had abandoned him. They literally walked away. When he was under trial, they said, I don't want to be associated with him. And there he was in this dark, dank prison, chained up. When he went to scratch his back, if he could even reach his back because of the pain of being tortured so many times for the cause of Christ, he would feel scar after scar after scar from being whipped and beaten and rocks hurled at him. Shipwrecked. He'd endured so much. And here he is, God's finest in his last hours. And somewhere in that season, he would write his last letter. Someone brings a scroll to him and they drop it down into his tank, and he reads a letter from his young apprentice, Timothy, who he left in charge in Ephesus to start and continue the church. And as he's reading this letter, his heart is broken for his, his mentoree, his mentee, his apprentice, his protege, because it says that everyone's abandoning Timothy. People are being martyred for their faith. It's not going well. Now, here's Paul. Paul is in this dungeon. The style of execution has already been decided. He will be beheaded. At any moment, the guards could open the door and take him and kill him at any moment. And so he wants to get this one last letter out to his young apprentice, Timothy. What a heart. Up to his very final breath, he is giving everything for the cause of Christ. And to follow Jesus, at some point it will cost you everything. Oh, the reward is beyond imagination, but it will cost you everything. And there he was, the Apostle Paul, writing Timothy a letter. And this is what he wrote, if we could put that on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. See, Timothy, it was so bad for him. He was even weeping. That I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. I believe there are three principles in here that if we can adopt, we will move closer to becoming a great mentor. Now, I actually, there's actually 12 in here that I discovered, and it seems like I discover more every time. And you can come ask me about some of them later. But I want to focus on three that I think are super significant. The first one is this. Mentors build relationships. Isn't that complex, everyone? I mean, isn't that just so complicated? You build a relationship. You just get to know someone. Jesus said he prayed all night, and he chose 12 disciples. And he says he appointed 12 that they might what? Be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. What's first? Oh, I just want to get to know you. Andrew, I, I, I know you're an outgoing kind of a guy. I want to get to know you. Peter, I know you put your foot in your mouth a lot, but I love you. I, I, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know you, Philip. I know you're so practical about everything, but I, I want to get to know you. Judas, I know you're a southerner. You're one of the only disciples from the south, but I actually like your language and, and your drawl, and I want to get to know you. He wanted to get to know the disciples, and he built relationship with them. He lived with them so they could learn his ways. Paul says this to Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. Oh, you don't say a beloved son unless you have a relationship with someone. A relationship that had been forged through trials and through joy, miracles and pain. One of the first steps of just becoming a great mentor is you begin to get into the life of the other person. You get in their world. You don't just do things that you want to do. You do things that they want to do. I can remember um, there was a, a video game 25 years ago, 20 years ago that came out, and it was kind of the craze of the day. And... Um, 
I mean, the last video game I played was the Atari 2600. Can anyone, anyone in here even know what that is? I mean, Pong was pretty exciting. And all of a sudden, now there's this new game. It's a strategy game, and there's tanks, and there's bombers, and there's fighters, and you're moving people across this digital board, and, and I'm getting slaughtered left and right. But I learned this game, and I get pretty good at it. And before you know it, we have 12 computers set up at the underground. And I started building relationships with people. People didn't come to hear about Jesus. They came to play Red Alert too. <laughs> I mean, that's why they came. And then they'd put their, put their computer on pause, and then we'd go up, and then we'd come back, and we'd go at it again. I just got to know them. And out of that kind of silly little game, forged some of the best discipleship I've ever had the privilege of being a part of because I just got to know them. I learned about them, got to know what their family life was like. We did things together. Maybe you're thinking of someone right now that you can establish a relationship with, you can invest in. Great mentors build relationships. Great mentors also pray. I love what it says. It says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Wow. Timothy, if anyone needed prayer, it was Timothy. Who was a, this young guy supposedly being a bishop in Ephesus trying to keep this church going and everyone's abandoning him. People are being martyred for their faith. They're being persecuted. And where's the Apostle Paul? He's praying for him. Day and night, he's praying for his protege. He's praying for Timothy. Build relationships and pray. Are you praying for that person in your life that God's brought into your life, into your world? Is that a priority to you? Do you know what needs they have? I encourage you, if you're not, to begin. And maybe you say, well, I, I pray once a week. You know, I've got this. I would challenge you, make it two times a week. Or maybe you pray twice a week. I would challenge you, up it to four. Maybe you pray every day for your protege. I would say now, pray morning and night. But up the effort in your prayer life for your mentor. You never know what God is going to do through your prayers. And here's what I've learned with people I've prayed for. I've learned that there's about a five-year half-life before the prayers actually get answered. That's right. It's almost weird that five years after I start praying for someone, I see something really develop in their life. Are you willing to, to do that? Are you willing to keep praying? There's people I've, I've been praying for since I was 16 who still have not crossed the line of faith, but I'm not giving up. I'm continuing to pray for them. Great mentors pray for those that they're mentoring. Then number three, great mentors affirm. They affirm. What is affirm? It means to de declare that something is true. When you affirm someone, you say, this is true about you. And I love what the Apostle Paul said about Timothy. Therefore, I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you. 
He's declaring that there is a gift of God inside of Timothy. Through the laying on of my hands, whose hands? The Apostle Paul laid hands on Timothy, and something happened, and the gift of God all of a sudden was deposited on Timothy. And the Apostle Paul witnessed it, and he is now reminding Timothy, there is a gift of God stirring in you. Keep stirring it. It's there. Keep stirring it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Timothy was being threatened by a spirit of fear. Fear that he would be alone. Fear that he would be martyred. Fear that the church would collapse. And it was overwhelming him. But it was a spiritual attack. The Apostle Paul reminds him, God has a gift in you. Stir it up. I saw it. I was there. Just this week, one of my old mentor, mentees, one of my old apprentices, God just placed them on my heart. And so I, I reached out to him, and God will do this occasionally, and I'll get a scripture verse, and I'll send it out when someone's put on my heart. And I got a weird message back, very cryptic, very dark. And I knew something was wrong in his life. And I said, hey, let's, let's not visit via text. Can I call you? And so I called him, and we spent two hours on the phone, and this person just laid out their life and the pain that they'd been, been in in the last several years, the hurt, the pain, the destruction of relationships, the illnesses they faced, and they were just beaten down to where they had no hope. And at the end of the phone call, I said, can I pray for you? And they said, yeah, go ahead. And I prayed for them. But then I told them, I said, you know, when you were 16 years old, I remember when you were called by God. And I'll tell you this, that call of God is irrevocable. It is still on you today. And I could just hear a noise in the phone of this person weeping and crying. I said, the call of God is still on you. God loves you. He has not abandoned you. And it's time that you stand up and begin to pursue that call of God on your life. And then I just gave him some practical steps to take. But in that moment, he needed someone to affirm him someone to encourage him, to tell him that it's real, that God is real, and that God still loves him, and that God still has a call on his life. We all need someone that can remind us our song when we have forgotten it, that they're willing to sing it back to us again so we can remember it and sing it once again. You know, Today would be a great day for you to think about someone that has poured into your life and just send them a text and say, thank you for being a mentor to me. You have no idea what that would mean to them.
That's just a bonus, all right? Now, here's what we're going to do. I want to call up Joe Briette. Joe, come on up. Speaking of world-class mentors, Joe is a world-class mentor. Can we give it up for Mr. Joe Briette? Who is now engaged, by the way. Woo! Congratulations. I've only been praying for three decades. God answers prayer. Probably more than that for some of you. So, Joe, um, I know you were uh, the junior high leader for many years, uh, decades actually, and that you poured into a ton of people. And so, um, if you were to choose one of these three points, can you give an illustration where uh, one of these three points comes to the surface? I think that relationships is real important. Um, I know that many decades doing junior high, they would come to me sometimes with questions. They didn't really want to ask mom or dad because sometimes it's kind of personal. But with that relationship, they were comfortable coming to me. Um, I had my I had their music on my phone. They like, you listen to Pillar? You listen to Skillet? And just laughing and talking with them outside of youth group. I used to take them four-wheeling in my scout, and he was talking about RA2. Lance Brindle over here. There's one of our converts right over there. Right there. Go up to his mom's house, and we had network cables and computers. His mom was walking around, and she wasn't quite sure how to be a hostess to all these kids, you know, focusing on the computers. But you do stuff like that, and you develop that relationship. I still have youth coming to me this day. They Joe, hey, how's it going? And some of them not following, but they see me. They know that I'm going to give them a good word. We'll talk. Relationships. Relationships. Right on. And I want to just, I didn't know Lance would be here today, uh, but Lance is someone that Joe has mentored for 25 years, and actually, there's a sentence that he put up here, Joe, that you don't even know I'm going to read. Joe has been a mentor of mine since I was a child in his youth group. Not only has he been a model of the faith and a trusted agent in the world of adulthood, but he was long ago real enough and brave enough to let down his guard and become personal friends with those he mentored. I count him as one of my closest friends to this day, 25 years after our first meeting, Lance Brinder. Thanks, Lance. And now there's three young ladies I'd like to invite up. Hannah, Kelsey, Alyssa, come on up. Worship team, you guys can come on up too if you want. Come on over. So let me ask uh, you ladies, do you have uh, someone that you all consider a mentor? Janice. All right, Janice, are you in the room? If you are, stand up. Come on, stand up. Let's give it up for Janice. Thank you, Janice. So I'd like each of you to just share how one of those principles has been applied to your life through Janice mentorship. Okay, um, well, relationship building, Janice for me has been great in that because she always cares about my day-to-day life, like what's going on, how I'm doing. Um, And if I ever need her, I call or text her and she'll get back to me like whenever she can, but she always gets back to me. And she's been there for me in the good times and the bad times. When I had COVID, it was like really, really bad. Like I was scared. (laughs) And she came to my house and drove me to the hospital and she didn't have to do that. And, um, you know, put herself in danger because she cared about me that much. So... 
So one of the qualities I think of with Janice is her prayer. She is one of my favorite people to pray for me. I've had many testimonies after her, she prayed for me, but one of my favorites is I was going through such an anxious time. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. She took the time to pray for me, and she actually got a scripture, and I will read it for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I stick this in my Bible, and I flip through it, and I get peace and love and just such faithfulness because Janice took the time to pray for me, and it's peace and love, and then it's peace and love that God wanted me to hear this. I got uh, affirmations, affirmations, and I'm not a sentimental person at all. I'm more of a purger, but there's one thing I hold on to, and Janice gives me cards, and she'll give me a card near Valentine's Day, because that's when I got baptized, and on my birthday, and it's full of these affirmations of who I am in Christ, and how Christ sees me, and how much I'm valued by Him, and it's just these endless kind words that I could never say to myself that Jenna says for me and writes them down so I can read them later. Right now, can we just thank these ladies for being bold enough to be up here? Thanks, you guys. Way to go, Janice. Way to go, Joe. You see, mentorship, it's not, it's not complicated. It's hearing from the Lord, writing the scripture down. It's encouraging them with a card. It's praying for them. It's reminding them who they are when they've forgotten themselves. You should all have your, your communion elements. And if you don't, just raise your hand and someone can bring you one. Because we're going to take communion this morning. We're going to start with the bread if you want to get that out. I was reminded today that the Apostle Paul himself had to start somewhere. And it started for him on a road to Damascus when he was knocked off his high horse and Jesus showed up. He said, Saul, Saul, why? Why are you persecuting me? Paul calls himself an apostle that was born out of time. In other words, he wasn't part of the original disciples, but Jesus tracked him down. And he became the most radical Jesus follower. But it all started with him accepting who Jesus was, his Savior. And so as we take this bread this morning, let's remember Jesus, that he shed his blood, he allowed his body to be broken for you. And that makes all the difference in the world. Jesus' body broken for you. Go ahead and partake. The scriptures say that likewise, Jesus took the cup. And the cup represents the new covenant of his blood that was shed for you. This crushed fruit symbolized that Jesus had to be crushed to atone for all of our sins. That there is no other way to heaven than through Christ. 
And that's why he came. He came because he loves each one of you. Even the one that's sitting there right now thinking, oh, I, I couldn't be forgiven. That's just a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus stands ready to forgive anyone. So just bow your heads for a moment. I just feel the urgency. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior to take the sin away, that you would be able to walk with him and have a new life. If that's you this morning, you just want to say, today's my day. I want to make that decision. Would you just lift your hand up and then down? I want to give you that opportunity if that's you today. Anyone that wants to make that decision, all right. Anyone else? Jesus, we thank you that you loved us so much that you came, you lived, you bled, died, and rose again, all for us. And we receive that. We're thankful for it. And now we ask as we ingest this grape juice, Lord, that somehow that it would translate into the spirit realm and your Holy Spirit would be infused upon us as well, that the grace that we're given would then be given out to those around us. So, Lord, we thank you, but we ask you for the accompaniment of your Holy Spirit and his power as we walk through this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' blood shed for you. Great mentors build relationship. Great mentors pray. And great mentors affirm. Let's make that our call as we head out into this week. Come on, let's stand and worship together one last time before we go.